Good morning. Welcome to Bethlehem Mennonite Church. We're glad to have you here. If you're willing and able, would you please stand and we're going to do this uh, opening song here. like to start off by welcoming you here this morning. It's really good to see us starting to fill up a little bit more and more here as we go across the sanctuary. So a few things I'd like to highlight this morning with you. So if you look at the screen, we'll have information there. We'll also have it all in the bulletin for you as well. This Saturday is our Youth Fall Festival. This is our, we do two big fundraisers a year for our youth group for mission trip and various other activities and things that we do. So we have our fall festival, and then we do a Valentine's banquet. So we would love to have you out sometime, anytime this weekend. The event is actually from 5 to 7. You can come get food. We're going to be having games and a whole bunch of different stuff for kids, bounce houses, stuff like that. So if you've signed up, great. We'd love to have you. If you haven't signed up, you can either fill out a slip and place it in my mailbox or in the ballot box. The slips are at the Welcome Center. Or you can call or text me this week. Or, honestly, you can just show up as well. We've got plenty of food. We always make quite a bit extra so we can make sure we can invite our neighbors and friends and things like that. So we'd really love to have you out from 
Food will be from 5 to 7, and then you can kind of hang around after that as well. So I encourage you to show up for that. So you see we have two weeks left on our Operation Christmas Child. If you remember a few weeks ago, Cheryl talked about because of COVID and things like that, it's a little bit different this year in that we're not collecting the boxes here, but you can actually go on the webpage and build a box online. And with it, you can build the box, and then you can also give some extra money to cover shipping and to also cover a, it's a little 12-week course where the kids at the end of the course get a Bible. And for a lot of them, this is the only Bible that they're going to get. And so we're actually going to be sending out a reminder tomorrow. If you're on our email list, you'll get an email with a link to click on to take you directly there. Or you'll be able to look on our webpage or on our Facebook as well. So we really encourage you. Our goal was 100 boxes. We've been doing pretty good with that. We'd like to just blow away by that. And so you can either go and build your own, or if you prefer, you can just write a check. You can give it to, um, you can put it in the offering. Just make sure you put Operation Christmas Child in the memo line. And Cheryl will actually be building a lot of the boxes as well. So we encourage you to plan on that. And one more, uh, we help out the second Tuesday of every month. We serve or make the food for Remnant Cafe. It's a homeless ministry here in Sarasota. And so if we're looking for some help, November 14th, it's not this Saturday, but the next Saturday. I talked about it a little bit um, in my sermon the last time that if you are the type of person, you make food for 100 people, and if that really is daunting to you, I will encourage you that we've got recipes that you can follow. The recipe will tell you exactly what to do. It even tells you exactly where to buy the stuff from, exactly how much you need. Like it's, it's a process that if I'm able to do it, anybody can. And so we have a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board in the back corner that if you'd please sign up, we could use usually five to six people would be a, a real big help to get it done. So if you have any questions, you can talk with me or you can talk with Jeff Mass, the mission board chairman. So now if you've noticed the last number since COVID started because of things being a little bit different, we've been singing one hymn a week with our worship team. This week, we wanted to start back up singing. If you notice underneath your chairs or in front of your chairs, our hymn books are back in there. And so we just wanted to say we are excited to be able to come back to singing some hymns. The, the depth and the history of these songs is just really encouraging. And so if you please reach, you can either reach in front of you or underneath your chair, grab the Mennonite hymnal and turn to number 582 and please stand. Morning, number 582. I'm pressing on the upward way. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand 
by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to live above the world. Though Satan's darts at me are hurled, for faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I'll pray till heaven I've found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Amen. Let's turn back to number 577. Number 577. Going to be learning a little bit more about Jonah later on today, so um, and uh, he had a little problem with obedience, so I figured we better sing a song about obedience this morning. When we walk with the Lord, trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word. What a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And with all who will trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a frown nor a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows 
and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. You may be seated. My name is Jeanette. I am a Christian and I love Jesus with all my heart. I love my children and I love the people of my country, the Central African Republic. There are both Christians and Muslims in my country and we lived as neighbors as I worked to reach them for Christ. But my hope for a peaceful life didn't last. Our village was ambushed by the Islamist attackers guns started firing and we started running as fast as we could into the bush all the christians in my village were killed or driven into hiding i fled with my children we didn't even have time to put on our shoes or clothes attacks like these have been targeting christians in the central african republic for eight years and continue today churches and missionary stations that have been built over decades have been destroyed along with Christians' homes that have been burnt to the ground. In one area, the only structures that remained were the metal roofs of two churches. Thousands of Christians have spent years in makeshift temporary shelters far from their homes as the violence and instability continues. Delivering desperately needed help to displaced Christians often means overcoming impassable roads, using cargo planes, trucks, motorcycles, bicycles, and even canoes. With God's help, supplies are making it to Christians scattered throughout various camps. Today, Jeanette and more than 30,000 Christians in the Central African Republic have been driven from their homes all because of their faithfulness in maintaining a witness for Christ in majority Muslim areas in the face of severe Islamist violence. These courageous believers, our Christian brothers and sisters in the Central African Republic, have shown God's love and forgiveness to their persecutors. They continue to faithfully follow the Lord and trust Him to meet their needs. Hallelujah. 
So if you saw this morning, and when you were handed your bulletin as you were walking in, there is this little half sheet of paper. Today is International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. It's always the first Sunday in November, and it's just a time to take to remember the people around the world that don't have it as good as we do here. And if you see on the back, it's the focus they had there is for the, the people in Central African Republic. And we, we put these papers in your bulletins so you could take these home with you. Because if you see on the back, it's got some information, but then it's also got three different things that you can pray for. Three different aspects of their ministry and what they're going through. And I also encourage you not only to take this, but I have, I don't know if any of you have this It's an app that you can get on your phone. It's from Open Doors, which if you know anything about Open Doors, they're the ones every year that put out like the most persecuted list in countries and and things like that. Well, there's an app that you can get on your phone that it will send you probably two, three times a day. You'll feel your phone vibrate and it just sends you, hey, pray for this person in this country. And it gives you a little story of what's happening. It's not an hour long read or anything like that. They just give you a brief synopsis of what they're going through. And it's interesting, I'm seeing a lot of them come in now where they're coming in with the, the aspect of coronavirus in that in some countries, the government is not only using the coronavirus to kind of hurt the church, but it actually in some of the countries, they're blaming the virus on the church. And the people in the country are just like, yeah, it sounds about right. The Christians are the ones that are screwing it up. And And so they're being persecuted even more. They're not receiving any of the aid that other people are receiving, and they're just being beaten down more and more. And with that app, I really like it because selfishly, every time I get one of those vibrations and I read it, it really makes me understand what I'm going through in the grand scheme of what everybody else is going through. And it really makes me, I've had a couple different times where it's, I've read one, and it's been, I've, I've been stressed about something, or I've been worried, and what I've been worried about is nothing in comparison to what they're going through. And so, again, you can, if you've got a smartphone, you can just search in the, the store, app store, or Google store, wherever you, what kind of phone you have. You just look for open doors, and it'll have all these things that will continually remind you what to pray for. And along with that, I'm going to pray for the, pray for the persecuted church. I also am going to kind of tie in as as I'm sure most, if not all of you know, Tuesday is a pretty big day in our country. And whichever direction it goes, it's probably not going to be pretty either way. There's going to be a lot of upset, upset people on both sides. And so we just want to pray for our leaders. First of all, we want to pray for our country, not particular in one way, or to just pray that people would be willing to serve God. And that through all of this, even if it seems crazy, if whatever's happening, that God will be glorified. So if you please stand with me, I'll pray, and then we'll go into worship. Dear God, we thank you so much that you are a God that listens to our request, that you are a God that loves us, that you are a God that cares for us. And God, I just want to pray for the believers all over the world that are being persecuted for their faith, that are being driven out of their houses, that are being driven out of their church buildings, Lord, and killed and sent away. God, I just pray that you would be with them, especially ones right now in the Central African Republic. As we saw in the video, don't even have shoes, don't even have the supplies, but are lucky to even still have their lives, God. We pray that 
first and foremost, you would strengthen them through this, that they would be, that they would know that there are people all around the world praying for them, that they could feel those prayers, that they could feel the strength coming from you. God, I also pray that you'd be with us as well, that we would continue to pray for those going through persecution, whether large, whether small, whatever they're going through, Lord, that we would be willing to stand up and to fight. And God, I just pray for our country for this coming Tuesday. I pray for, as the results come in, that through all of this, whatever happens, whether it's what we want or what it's what we don't want, Lord, that we know it's you behind everything, that you can work through anything, that you are ultimately powerful. So God, I just pray that you would just be with our, our country, be with our churches, just be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
God, it is all about you. It is about what you have accomplished on our behalf and what you are still accomplishing on our behalf and what you're accomplishing on many, many people's lives around the world, even today. And again, we just pray for those who are gathering uh, in secret this morning or gathering uh, with fear of being invaded this morning. And I pray that together we would lift up our voices with theirs and we would worship you as Yahweh, our, the one and only true and living God. And so this morning, would you be pleased with what we say and do? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we mentioned last week and here again this morning, we are starting in the book of Jonah. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, I would welcome you. If you're not sure where that's at, if you go to the Old Testament, about halfway through the Old Testament, there's uh, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, uh, and Micah. So right between Obadiah and Micah, if you get there, you'll find the book of Jonah. Probably only covers two pages, uh, perhaps, on your in your Bible. Fascinating little book. It's only about four, it is only four chapters long, uh, but it is feel, uh, filled with some of the most practical, humbling, and I think some of the most challenging truth uh, for our spiritual walk. Now, I'm going to do something with this book uh, that uh, you might think it's impossible, but I am attempting uh, to preach an entire chapter per week. I know you don't think I can do it, oh, ye of little faith, but I'm going to try, all right? So that's my goal. One chapter uh, per week uh, will get us through right up until Christmas time, uh, and then we'll head into uh, Christmas. So this is taking every bit of energy within me uh, to accomplish this, but uh, we're going to try to pull it off. I've titled today's sermon, Oh, the Irony. And if you have your message notes, uh, you're going to see there that there are no less than five ironies uh, as we walk through this first chapter that I think should do a couple things. I think, one, they should just really jump off of the page at us as, well, that's ironic. Uh, and then secondly, I think in many ways it probably should kind of smack us in the face because there are so many times I believe that we're complicit in the same things that we read about that Jonah does, all right? And so there's a lot to learn here and I think a lot to challenge us even in 21st century North America. A little background maybe would be good to this book. Jonah is a prophet, and he's a prophet in what we call the pre-exile period. So before Israel was exiled, uh, Jonah was on the scene. Outside of this book, which bears his name, Jonah is only mentioned one other time uh, in the Old Testament. And that comes in 2 Kings chapter 14. And in 2 Kings, he prophesies there. That it's not him speaking, but there's a reference to him in a prophecy. And he's painted in a very positive light. He gives a positive prophecy uh, to the people of Israel at that period. And so we go from there to this book. And that's really all we know about this prophet, Jonah. His name means dove. 
And while we can't read a lot into that because the Bible doesn't expound on his name per se, we do know that doves in Scripture represented peace. They represent safety. And so Jonah was called to go and preach peace uh, to a people, peace with God. And as you will come to discover as we go through this chapter, he resisted being that mouthpiece of God's blessing to other people. So I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 1, and then we'll work our way through it irony by irony. All right? So follow along as I read Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more uh, tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, The men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. A rather amazing story, don't you think? Some theologians 
doubt and question, challenge, in fact, the authenticity of this book. Some people will say that it's not, it didn't really happen, that this is all an allegory, uh, that it's just a story to make a point. Um, I wholeheartedly disagree with that assertion since Jesus himself, later we'll see, points back to this very story of Jonah and seems to believe uh, in both its history and its truthfulness in the events that it describes. I think we have no reason to deny the supernatural of what happened in this story, and instead I think we should accept it by faith uh, and learn from it. So what can we learn from this story? Well, here's the first irony uh, that I see in this story. God said go, Jonah says no. Look again at those first three verses. God gives Jonah an explicit command. He says, I want you to arise, go down to Nineveh, that great city, and call upon it, for its evil has come before me. Now, it doesn't say, the text doesn't say how God told Jonah that. If it was an audible voice or if he had a vision, uh, if he had some kind of dream, we, we don't know. But we do know that Jonah did not misunderstand the command of God. His charge was to go and call out against or to point out to the people of Nineveh their sin and to call upon them to repent before God. And because Jonah was a prophet of God, he should have known and he should have complied immediately with the command of God to go. So why did Jonah say no? Why did Jonah think that there was a good reason to go a different direction. I think that there probably could have been three different things going through Jonah's mind. First, God said, their evil has come up before me. And when God said that, God was not joking. Nineveh was a wicked, vile, nasty city. Their reputation for blood and guts and gore was well established uh, in the region. Uh, some historians have documented some of the atrocities of some of the rulers from Nineveh. Let me give you some of them. Uh, writing of one of his conquests, one of the rulers of Nineveh said this, I stormed the mountain peaks and I took them. He said, in the midst of the mighty mountain, I slaughtered them. With their blood, I dyed the mountain red like wool. And then listen what he says. He says, the head of their warriors, I cut off and I formed them into a pillar in front of their city. Regarding another captured leader, the same guy wrote this. I flayed him. And his skin I spread upon the wall of the city. There was another commander that boasted that his officials, uh, when they would capture the Egyptians, uh, they would hang their corpses on stakes, they would strip off their skins, and they would cover the city walls with them. Okay, so you can imagine the, the stench, the blood, 
the nastiness, even as you walked up to the city of Nineveh uh, with skins of people plastered uh, on, the, on the walls. One conqueror in Nineveh described his treatment of a captured leader when he wrote, I pierced his chin with my keen hand dagger. He took his dagger up through the chin and he said, through his jaw, I passed a rope put a dog chain upon him, and made him occupy a kennel. It's no wonder Nineveh was considered a wicked, cruel, and one of the most idolatrous empires in the world. Now, if God told you to go there, what would you do? (laughs) And not only were you supposed to go there, you are supposed to go there and tell them that all those things that they were doing are wrong. Guess what? Your skin might be the next one on the wall. Maybe that's why he didn't want to go. I think secondly, Jonah knew as a prophet of God that God would often raise up pagan nations to discipline Israel in her disobedience. And it's important for you to know that even as Jonah is is supposed to be going to Nineveh, Israel is in a state of disobedience. God has been raising up prophets uh, to call Israel to repentance. And so perhaps Jonah anticipated that if I go there and I preach to the Ninevites, and, and Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, It might be that God has in the back of his mind to raise up Assyria to come and punish Israel. And maybe Jonah's sitting there saying, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to be a conduit for God's anger to come from this other country toward Israel. So maybe he runs because of that. Could have been those two. But I think Jonah tips his hand in chapter 4. If you look there quickly at verse 2, he kind of tells us why he didn't want to go. He says, Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You know why Jonah didn't want to go? He didn't think that they deserved grace. He didn't think that they deserved the mercy of God. He didn't think that they deserved to be forgiven. He preferred to sit back and watch God's wrath and anger be poured out on this evil and vile city. And deep down inside of his heart, he really wanted to see them suffer for everything they've done. That's why he didn't want to go. You know what's equally tragic about that thought? I think sometimes we can think about other people in that same way. Think about that spouse that went to war with you and then eventually dropped you like a bad penny. Think about that neighbor who just could not get along with them to the point where they have now filed charges against you in a court of law over your property lines? Think about that 
multi-family home down the street from you. There's just cars everywhere, and there's people everywhere. And they don't really take care of their yard. It's just kind of trash all the time. Think, think about them. Think about those workers that you see every day, and you are 99% sure that none of them are here legally. Or think about that inspector that you have to deal with who makes your life a living hell every time you have to go pull a permit. If God told you, I want you to go to that person, I want you to go to that family, and I want you to tell them about my grace, I want you to tell them about my mercy, I want you to ask them to repent and turn to me, what would you do? Absolutely not, God. They don't deserve it. I want to see them pay for what they've done to me. I want to see them suffer for what they've done. They deserve wrath. They deserve anger. They deserve all of your punishment. You need to pour that. Don't ask me to go evangelize them. Don't ask me to go tell them about Jesus. Don't ask me to invite them to church. Are you kidding me? That is the last thing they need. Do you hear yourself? Oh, the irony. When God says, go, and we say, no. We're not a lot different from Jonah, are we? The second irony that I see here, verses 4 down to verse 6, is the pagans are the ones who pray while Jonah is sleeping. Look at verse 4 again. Uh, It says, The Lord hurled a great wind upon them. Who hurled the wind, by the way? Who hurled the wind? God did, right? The Lord God did. Yahweh did. Listen, friend, don't ever question God's ability to use his sovereignty to accomplish his purposes. Okay? Uh, We see in this story alone, God is sovereign over a storm, He's, he's sovereign over a fish. He's going to be sovereign over a plant. Not to, not to mention the fact that he's sovereign over the hearts of Jonah and the Ninevites. It is God who hurled this great wind upon the sea. And it is so massive and it is so violent that even these experienced mariners uh, thought for sure that their boat's going to be smashed up in, in, into a million uh, pieces. And so what did they do? Well, as God hurls the storm, they're hurling cargo. They're trying to get rid of it, lighten the ship, make it such that uh, it can float. But here's the deal. If you start a hurling contest with God, you're going to lose, right? God's going to do it way better than you. You have no ability to out-hurl the Lord, right? They are throwing boxes, equipment, maybe supplies. Who knows what all? They're throwing into the water to absolutely no avail. And so these pagans, they start crying out to their gods. And there must have been a lot of different religions represented on this ship because it sounds like they're all crying out to their individual god. And and as they're crying out to their gods, they're looking around to make sure everybody's participating. We've got to have some help here. And they noticed there's a guy missing. There's one of the folks on the ship who's missing. Where's Jonah? He's down in the inner part of the ship, absolutely fast asleep. (laughs) 
totally oblivious to what's happening around him. And, and the captain, if you can imagine, goes running down there, bursts into the room and says, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? Get up, cry out to your God. Maybe he's the one that will actually hear us here. Maybe your God will spare us our lives. And again, I say, oh, the irony. The guy who should have been praying is the one who's fast asleep in the boat. And the pagans uh, who serve false gods, to be sure, they're the ones that are actually praying. They're the ones that are actually doing something because they know something supernatural has to happen here for us to get out of, out of this one. And again, I wonder, can we sometimes become so oblivious to the pain and the suffering and, and the hurts and, and what's going on around us in the world that we are content with a bed and a blanket when the world is going to hell in a handbasket? Are we so apathetic sometimes to the pressing needs of, of our day that it, instead of praying to God, instead of imploring God and asking him to intervene, we just kind of sneak off for a little nap? Shame on Jonah. Shame on us. Now's not the time to go to sleep and as Ryan mentioned earlier this morning, I, I have no idea uh, what's going to happen on, on Tuesday, but regardless of the outcome, somebody's going to be outraged. <laughs> we know that for sure, right? Now's the time to remember those things, and instead of acting in rash ways, praying to God, being aware of the pain and the disappointment and the fear all around us, and instead of just saying, oh, well, none of my concern, I'm going to bed. Pray. Yeah, I think actually now is a prime time to know Jesus. It's the perfect time to be talking about Jesus. It's a perfect time to show his compassion and love, even with people with whom we might disagree greatly in, in political settings. Don't go to sleep now. Start praying. So Jonah's awake. Uh, he, he, he wakes up. The, the ship's getting busted up from, from every side. Uh, in verse 7, they decide to take the next step to figure out what they're going to do. Verse 7, it says, They say to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil is coming. I don't know if they used straws back then. I don't know if they rolled dice or what, they do, what they're going to do. But they're going to cast lots. Well, is there any doubt in your mind where the lot is going to land? <laughs> right? We know the story, uh, but God's sovereignty rules even over the lot. In Proverbs 16, it says the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from who? From the Lord. So they cast lots. Sure enough, the lot falls on Jonah. And man, as soon as it lands on Jonah, they all look at him and they just start peppering him with questions. Where are you from? What language do you speak? Who, who brought this on us? Why are you here? Where are you going? Where did you come from? You better start talking, buddy, because we are in big trouble. And we believe you're the problem. And Jonah speaks for the very first time in this story. 
And he says in verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I fear Yahweh. I'm from Israel. I fear the God who made the heavens and the dry land and the seas. This is his and everything that's in it. He controls every inch of it. And the irony that I see here is that Jonah said, I fear, but it was the pagans who actually did fear. Because had Jonah really feared the Lord, instead of being on a ship heading south to Tarshish, he would have been on the back of a camel heading north to Nineveh. He didn't really fear the Lord, did he? Outright rebellion by one of God's own prophets doesn't really jive well uh, with his profession of faith. And I think when this captain and crew hear Jonah say, my God made the land and the sea, and it is the sea that's kicking their tail right now, I think they look at Jonah and they say to Jonah, what have you done? If your God made the sea and the sea is about to destroy us, what have you done? They actually feared the Lord. They were the ones who actually respected the Lord. And again, I ask this. How many of us say, I fear God, I fear the Lord, I love the Lord, and we turn around and knowingly disobey his commands? Or, so Jonah did, I fear the Lord, I love the Lord, disobeyed the Lord. How many of us do the same thing? Even the pagans know that's a bad idea. And even the pagans look at us and say, well, if you say you love the Lord and you don't obey him, then you are a big, fat hypocrite, right? Even the pagans know those should go together. These guys have to figure out something. Man, life is, is, is getting rough. And so, so they pose a question to this running prophet in verse 11. They say to him, what should we do? so that the sea gets quiet again. What what do you want us to do, Jonah? You tick the guy off. Now, what do you want us to do to make him happy? It's your fault. So what does Jonah say in verse 12? He says to them, well, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you because I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come come upon you. You know what is shocking to me? It is shocking to me that Jonah so despised Nineveh that he was willing to commit suicide instead of going to evangelize evangelize them. Jonah was willing to give up his life instead of go. That is a deep-seated hatred, friends. And here's the irony of what happens when Jonah didn't care about life. He didn't care about his own life. He didn't care about the lives of the Ninevites. 
Again, it was the pagans who actually cared about life. They don't want to throw him overboard. They don't want to kill this guy. They're kind of afraid, well, if, if, if we throw this guy over, what if, what if he's innocent? What if, we, what if we have blood on our hands? And We don't want to make that God any more angry than he already is. And, and they're kind of scared of being held accountable to this massively powerful God and it terrifies them. And it's ironic to me that they are more concerned about Jonah's life than even he is. He's willing to die to get out of the situation and they look at him and they like, ah, not on our watch. You're not dying while, while we've got you here. We're going to push through this thing. And those guys, they just start rowing, rowing as hard as they can. But again, you can't outdo God. The storm just gets worse. They're bouncing all over the place. And in a final act of desperation, they comply with what Jonah has told them to do and they they hurl, hurl him over into the sea. And immediately, the sea calms, and these guys sit back and they say, "Whoever that God, whoever that God is that Jonah follows, he, he's the real God. He is the real one." And it says they they offer sacrifices to that God and they make vows to the God. And we don't know exactly what they said or exactly what their what their vows were. Uh, the text doesn't say, but I would like to imagine that they became followers of God that day. And that when they went home that night uh, to the missus, they said, you would not believe what happened to us today. <laughs> there was this guy, and there was this sea, and there was this, there was this storm, and there was this we threw him overboard. And, and the sea, I don't know who this God is, but honey, we got to find out. I would like to imagine that they followed God after that day. Now, I don't know if you notice how much hurling is happening in this story. There's a lot of it. Jonah said, hurl me over. Uh, the text says the shipmen, uh, the shipmen give in and they hurl him over. At the end of chapter 2, even the fish is going to hurl. Different kind of hurl, but even the fish. is a whole lot of hurling uh, in this book. But again, you cannot out hurl God and in all the positive ways you can't outdo him when these guys threw Jonah overboard we have no record of whether or not they even knew that the fish took Jonah Uh, in fact uh, next time when we get into chapter 2 we'll hear Jonah talking about how he went down into the depths he thought he was going to die when this fish swallowed him We have no idea if those guys up above even knew. For all they knew at this point, Jonah's dead. He's a dead man. Maybe they found out later when Jonah came back and he told the miraculous story. But when Jonah went overboard, he thought he was going to die. There was no oxygen down there. It was wet. He was probably getting pounded from every side by the water crashing against his body. And the final irony that I see in, in, in chapter 1 is found in verse 17. 
when God should have punished Jonah, he rescued him instead. Look at verse 17. It says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What did Jonah deserve? He deserved to be punished by God. What did Jonah deserve? Well, he directly disobeyed an explicit command of God. He couldn't have cared less about the eternity of the souls of the people found in Nineveh. And instead of admitting his wrong and getting on a northbound ship, this guy tried to commit suicide to avoid the very presence of God. Everything about his actions deserved the rightful punishment of a holy God. And yet, in God's grace and in God's mercy and in God's love toward Jonah, he said, Jonah, I'm not done with you yet. I still have a a plan for you. And instead of destroying you today, like I should do, I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to turn you around and you are going to do what I've asked you to do. That can only be the mercy of God. How many times have you and I turned our backs on God when we knew the right thing to do and we didn't do it We disobeyed anyway, and we deserved for God to come down on us like a ton of bricks. And yet something else happened. Here's the beauty that I want you to see in verse 17. When you read verse 17, there should be little light bulbs going off in your head. If you are a student of scripture, there should be something about about verse 17. 17, that sounds familiar. Do you know somebody else who spent three days and three nights in the depths? There was a guy named Jesus, right? In fact, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, points back and says this. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Like Jonah, Jesus preached a message of repentance. And like Jonah, uh, Jesus was down under for three days and nights. But here's the deal. Jesus was greater than Jonah. Jesus actually died and three days later rose again. And Jesus, when he rose again, he broke the chain of sin. He proclaimed liberty to the captives. He gave sight to the blind. He set at liberty those who were oppressed. By Jesus' death and resurrection, he now offers you the same rescue 
that he gave to Jonah, but in a much more powerful way. This picture of Jonah becomes a foreshadowing of Jesus. That Jesus himself would take your punishment. When you deserved it, Jesus would take it for you. And while you knew the right that you should do and disobeyed and should be punished forever for it, Jesus says, I'll go down and die for you. And I'll raise again for you. It's a beautiful picture. It's a stunning picture of none other than the Jesus Christ that we've come to love. So I want to pray for us this morning. I just want you to stay seated while I pray, but let me ask you some questions before we pray. Where have you been acting like Jonah in your own life? Are you saying no when God says go? Are you sleeping while the world is crashing down around you? Are you saying that you fear the Lord, but you're really not? Do you care for the lives of others around you, or couldn't you care less? And are you turning to Christ in repentance and faith, or are you still running? I want to pray for us, and I want you to consider those questions. Why don't you bow your head with me? I'm just going to pause for a moment and you answer those questions in in your life. Oh, the irony that we find ourselves in this story too, God. We're here in this story. We're the Jonah. We're the one that so often runs away. We're the one that so often disobeys. We're the one that so often sleeps. We're the one that so often is apathetic toward those around us. And then we see that Jesus takes on a role in in our lives and that this story becomes this foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do when Jesus goes down in the depths of the earth for three days and rises again on our behalf. Thank you for forgiving disobedient servants. Thank you for giving mercy and grace uh, to apathetic believers. Thank you uh, for showing your kindness and your forgiveness toward us uh, when we deserve to go down in the sea and die for what we've done. Thank you for that. Now, help us to take that same message of grace and, and, and mercy and forgiveness and, and empower us and, and excite us and give us the enthusiasm to take that to our Nineveh, wherever that may be. If that's our neighbor, if that's our spouse, if that's our kid, that's our boss, that's around the world, wherever that is. God, I pray that you would take this, this story of Jonah and motivate us, change us, help us. Father, thank you for recording uh, this little book here 
with so much truth. And I pray as we walk through it that we would see that you are a gracious God through and through, but for God. (laughs) Thank you. We love you. We worship you forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you.